0: You're listening to Live Wild Radio, the part-time adventure podcast.
1: Join us as we explore how outdoor adventures build mind, body, and spirit.
0: Before we get to the show today, we've got our first real partner, sponsor, Great Lakes Giria. So Giria is the Russian word for kettlebell. They have kettlebells in stock, which I know is a big issue in a lot of places. Really high-quality bells, the Russian hard style that range from as little as 4 kilos up to 96 kilos. Really love the quality. Handles are great. The part that's great is we got you a 5% discount. So, if you go to greatlakesgyria.com, if you're here in Canada or in the United States, it's us.greatlakesgyria.com. And use the promo code LIVEWILD at checkout. You'll get 5% off. Um, and in addition to kettlebells, they have barbells. They have squat racks. They have dumbbells, maces, weighted clubs, chin-up bars, whole collection of gear. So uh, don't forget, if you want to get in shape, don't count on the gyms. They keep having to clothes. So set your gym up at home now and save some money on it. So in our series of pandemic episodes where we uh, are, instead of talking to people in person, we're talking to them over the power of the internets. Our guest this episode is similar to us in that he's got a podcast. So uh, we're going to be talking to Will Nelson from uh, Becoming Human. uh, His podcast about basically adventure, personal growth, He talks to a lot of different people. So it's, it's
1: yeah. From like writers to comedians or athletes, whether it be jujitsu or rock climbing, uh, from what we've seen, it's all about becoming a better person and uh, interesting, you know, experiences along the way.
2: And it's been really fun because um, I love it when you can focus on doing the things that you love and then, you know, becoming a better person and um, being able to learn how to play with others, I guess, better is a side effect of, of wanting to do the thing that you love more. Right. And I feel like that really helps um, protect against self-righteousness.
0: <laughs> well, let's go through. Cause like, when did you start your podcast?
2: I started my podcast in um, 2015 and it was, I, I was coming from a background of not having really any expertise um, in any area. And I didn't have any history doing like any journalism or anything like that. So it was really uncomfortable for me, but I saw it as an opportunity to talk with people.
1: So what compelled you to do that?
2: Well, originally I was, um, I was interested in what it was like to be homeless and um, what different demographics that you would find and how personal responsibility and personal choice kind of played into it.
1: Curious. What, what, what struck you
2: the most? Uh, it it was just interesting that you would have people who are on a spectrum of like having mental health issues. And the oddest thing is, is that some of them I could relate to, I think, um, and, and not even my own self, but people in my life. And of course on the spectrum though, you know, and like how intense you, you can relate to those kinds of feelings or experiences. Um, but there was one guy who was like really into doing BMX and he was trying to tell me his story of when he was living in Alaska and he really wanted to be like a professional, um, like a BMX writer, I suppose. And he spent a lot of time into that. And from what I gathered, like his whole world fell apart and his mom like did some really traumatic things towards him. And a lot of it was focused around like BMX and, his security got taken away. So like this guy would like in our conversation would be repeating like the same sentence over and over and over again around like his mom and BMX and then transition to like him being homeless was um, because he lost his job in the construction industry and he just wasn't able to pick himself back up. And then you see that he'd like repeat this cycle. And it was scary to me. Cause like, I see some of, some of the situation, like some of the things that you'd prefer or seek out can also be learned behaviors and things that are just a result of like the patterns that you're exposed to um, and things that feel familiar, even if they're not very um, positive for you or even if they they hurt you in some way. Um, because you'd see a lot of like, I'd meet people in the communities and some people were um, or were experiencing this homelessness This isn't like a generality, but for the people I talk to, um, because like from personal choice or hardship and then to take it a step further, it's trying to rebound from the hardship um, or identifying with that and like that, that's life. And it's really hard to be able to relate with like the values and the interests um, of their like within the reality. Because it just feels so like routine from that scenario. And then I get confused because it's like, well, I don't really know what to do. Because then you know that like certain things, certain behaviors will affect you. But sometimes those behaviors might affect you in a negative way. And how much do you, are you able to like um, impose your ideas on other people Uh um, to protect like this shared space? Mm-hmm. And, and I know it's all like really complicated it's just hard for me to understand because I could like relate to these people yeah. um, in these situations and I find that people are in these situations for all different reasons
1: yeah.
2: and it's like you're not really hurting anybody but also you cause a lot of like um, you bump into a lot of concerns mm-hmm. and a lot of very um, not so black and white answers you know
1: um, I'm always intrigued by viewpoints, what people value from different mm-hmm. walks of life, you know, and yeah. even, if, you know, if, if, if somebody, you know, even as an example of being homeless may not, may be perceived as, you know, whatever, like by others that their values aren't correct. Mm-hmm. Um, I necessarily think that actually I think sometimes they get it better than other people do <laughs> yeah in terms of maybe what matters or mm-hmm. you know what a kind gesture could be or or it could be something you know it's very different right when you're when you're homeless your your values and what what you got to get through in the day yeah it's kind of a bit of a, a shift
2: and well and that's where I find like even just trying to think about like what I would think about from the situation and how i would assimilate the conversations that i'd have i think it's like less about that um about the situation of being homeless and more of that like a representation of a different kind of reality and a different kind of experience and like that you find all different kinds of people in this in this way of living for whatever reason whether it's voluntary or not those things vary as much as our individual reason why you're a parent it's a variable in life. And I find it very interesting to listen to people from those perspectives. Found that there was like, you even find people who, who really do what, like you're saying, have like certain values. Like it's not like a mental health, like somebody who's like has a lot of trauma, but it's someone who really values this kind of lifestyle and also um, has dif- wants to spend their time in different ways. And I would even extend somebody who's like using, you know, using drugs to like a high extent right, even then, right, that person is finding a way to acquire their drugs, and they're deciding to use their time for this chasing of pleasure, right? Like, whatever it be, they're not stealing from me, you know, um, but how do we create space for that with, while also being able to play in a park, mm-hmm. and, and not have that, that conflicting, and not to say, you need to go create your own space, I think it's, like, kind of up to just everybody to figure out how to, um, You know, it's how to be able to coexist in that way.
1: Well, isn't that what we're talking about in today's world of outside of homelessness? Just today's world of having different ideas? Is that a Uh coexist? (laughs)
2: Uh-huh.
0: When it comes to um ideas or viewpoints that are divergent, I, I guess we always have to have this almost a slippery slope or uh discussion because you know, we, we can all agree, um, or I think we should, uh, like, say, the KKK, that people shouldn't be able to advocate for violence, mm-hmm. but they're free to have abhorrent views. Mm-hmm. You know, where we're sort of going through a time where uh, if people don't agree
2: with a certain viewpoint, there, there seems to be this move to like silence people. Yeah. And I'm concerned about that in the way that I don't think that that's intention. I don't think that's intentional. And I oftentimes think people aren't conscious of that until they're really far down that road. Mm-hmm. And that's what worries me. That's why I say that about the home, like I, the home people who are in a homeless situation is that I can have like opinions or anything like that. But I always try to think about a way to protect an advocacy for that, for people that have those kinds of views or lifestyles that I may or may not disagree with as long as it does not like cross these very strict and firm Mm -hmm. boundaries, right?
0: It's an interesting thing, like because people's viewpoints now seem to be, you know, almost like religious in nature uh, Mm -hmm. in the sense that, you know, they're what people believe is so tied to their identity that anybody that believes something different isn't somebody with a different viewpoint um but it's basically seen as almost like a personal attack on yeah on their identity and i think you know like if if we talk about something like the homeless uh situation i think you know you have that combination of people should have if that's a lifestyle they want to lead i agree with you they should have a a right to it um but i think both in the U.S. and Canada, there should be better mental health programs for people that need it. Because even up here where we're much less about your bootstraps uh, than in the States.
2: Yeah. It, you've, you find that I think in a lot of our culture, because y- even the way that we deal with things, I think, and I don't think this is conscious but I find it very interesting like civic responsibility and like what we actually do do in terms of participating in our society for the change that we we might want to see. And all, a lot of the time it's like advocacy in the sense of like speaking out and like trying to draw attention. But oftentimes I don't see a very clear paths to be able to do anything like, you know, in like, in terms of like creating programs and stuff. And I've seen things like here in Seattle, they have, something called for culture, which um, I thought it was, well, I didn't know if it's like statistically pretty effective, but I thought it was a really interesting idea. It um, empowers the individuals to be more creative and to be the ones to create the solutions for these very complicated problems, because I find that that's a big thing. We have like a diffusion of responsibility.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it goes back to what you were saying earlier is personal responsibility, right? And and we, we, we subscribe to that too, actually, we're, we're very strong. We're all about growth, if that's the way to describe the two of us, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) growing and, you know, challenging each other, we're a couple, Um, but we're also very open-minded, right? To other, you know, criticism. (laughs) And I think that, you know, that's something that society does struggle with is, they're very comfortable and sometimes they don't want to look at the mirror reflected back. But that's, that's where all going back to your podcast. I mean, I think that you become better people when you, when you grow and and you you assume that responsibility Mm -hmm. to do that and see how, what can I do to make a difference versus push it out on other people?
2: Yeah. It's like that. Like, you know, I, I found that out or I found something out in martial arts and running and climbing. Each of these individual experiences have Caused me to reflect on my own um, my own problems and the ways that I'm probably dishonest with myself in their own unique ways because it's like it's really challenged my character and and that's what I what I find in having these this experiential learning and being able to share this with other people is that instead of pushing my ideologies on somebody um, even if I don't mean to and I don't think I am and even if I'm not but to like kind of like uh, Nick the slippery slope in the butt. It's like, hey, let's go out and do this. And this is what working together. And this is what treating each other with compassion looks like. And this is what, you know, being treating each other with an open mind and creating space for one another and a safe, like we can just, we can have it in this situation and it can feel like good. Well, and I think too, you know, you
0: you run into the thing where there's, you know, you're talking about like the, the fusion of responsibility I think there's also almost like a nihilism that comes from not, and, and maybe it's just, this comes from like our societies, like being so many people that mm-hmm. people don't feel that individually they can make a difference. Right. You can't fix the world, but you can fix your immediate surroundings, mm-hmm. you know, or at least have an effect on
2: them. Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah, reframing on what you, what you actually can control. And you realize that like starting with the small things that you can control, eventually you can get to the things that are out of your control. You know, you find that with a lot of these things when climbing and fitness goals is that the, the, the thing that you can't really control is, is achieving like your overall aim. But what you can control is, is, is setting the schedule and the routine.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: it's just through that routine you, you will eventually get what you're aiming for, but it's through no fault of your own other than showing up.
1: Right. So I'm curious, like what brought you to where you are today? Yes. What
2: turned you into a superhero? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, when, when I was younger, my, my family, they, they got divorced and, um, and we eventually moved to Idaho. So we went from like the Bay Area in California to a town of 300 in North Idaho. Yeah. And it was it was wild. And she was um, she got she in a relationship with this guy she met on the Internet. And she only talked to him for a few months before moving out to a cabin in Idaho with him. And like it was some very creepy stuff. But uh, <laughs> he turned out to be like really like really aggressive. And she left him. Well, she kicked them out of the cabin and took the cabin. Um, And at this property, it was like um, the roads weren't plowed and she drove like a a Thunderbird. She you had to chop your own wood and heat your own um, or chop your own wood to keep your house warm. Um, And she's never done that before. So she'd have to park at the bottom of this hill and walk like, you know, a few hundred feet up this hill to take her groceries and stuff. And then there was a bear that would dent at the foot of our driveway. Um, just in the trees i would come out in the summer and sunbathe <laughs> in our driveway with our cats it was it was wild but like um throughout all that time you know i didn't really have a lot of positive role models around and sometimes it was just kind of like me and my mom um and i felt like a i guess like really like depressed and helpless and stuff I don't know like a lot of angst you know and like um and my mom would have a lot of hard times handling just daily stuff in life get really overwhelmed and angry so I just kind of like endure a lot of that but then I became a stepdad when I was 13 and then I got um I got married when I was 17 had my son um and then I got sober off of like everything when my son was born um and his mom was an alcoholic and then we split up and she just like really just dove deep into alcoholism and even though i was like sober i found myself having still addictive tendencies like Mm -hmm. i'd eat almonds and i was working in auto glass and i'd have to um i'd install auto glass on uh cars and i drive in like like a pretty big area you know i drive like maybe four out of an, four hours out of an eight hour work shift, And I would stop by a gas station every day and get almonds every time I get gas. And then I used to look for excuses to go to the gas station two times a day to go get almonds two times. <laughs> and it was like, Oh my gosh, man, you're not like I was being pretentious and like snobby. Like, Oh, you're not doing drugs. Look, you're, you're a good person. And like to only realize that <laughs> I was caught in that it wasn't really like drugs. It was just my relationship to, you know, everything like the chatter in my mind, you know, just getting obsessed. Um, But I was still like bored because I had all these things and it was my life wasn't really going anywhere that was very exciting. Um, And I still had like problems inside, even though I was stable. And I saw how my mom was able to be stable while my dad and everyone around her would like be addicted to meth and my mom would used to do meth but she could she quit didn't do it again she wasn't like she had her little th- like situation but it wasn't like a throughout her life right my dad relapsing throughout his life my sister relapsing throughout her life my brother relapsing throughout his life um and then me not really doing those kind of drugs but getting into uh overdosing for other reasons not addiction just like ego um so it was like a lot a lot to think about in that way and i saw my mom though that she was really stable but she was like really hollow inside and like i love her to death but she just like you would have you know stress like you get lost not able to pay the bills you got a lot of things to cook and like it would just be war in her head she'd be so frustrated so much suffering and like I just didn't get it. And I didn't get it. Cause I thought it was like, Oh, drugs, you know, I don't want to, my dad makes me sad, not being there. And like, I don't want to be like that. And then I'm like, Oh, drugs, aren't, it's not really like drugs. It's like, wait, what's this? Like, how do you like, you know, your relationship with yourself and the relationship with the tasks at hand. And I didn't really understand any of those things, but what I did know was martial arts looked cool. So I started getting into martial arts, um, and my son was four at the time, and I got him into jujitsu as well. And we've been doing jiu-jitsu for about five years now. Um, and that expanded out into learning everything else. And that followed – the podcast is what introduced me to a lot of different kinds of experiences. And, like, these experiences have introduced me to more of who I am. And I didn't think that that would be a thing because I always thought, like, you know, because I always am me. Like, I'm a pretty – um out the get-go a little insecure think like thinks way too much about things and like you know cares what people think about them a little too much but like that's always there but it's like it builds and i like learn more about the the nuances of who i am and i didn't know it was like meeting somebody i always thought you just kind of know who you are if that makes sense so
1: what, what have you learned about yourself
2: Well, I've learned that um, that I really base my value on what how other people view me and that I put the need to please other people as probably the highest priority. And I'd put my life at stake for that. And in fact, I have like in like silly ways, ways that don't matter in in, like rock climbing or in jujitsu, like, you know. Um, I might be climbing something way out of my comfort zone, but like everyone's safe. And it's like, emotionally, I'm going through hell, you know, or like in jujitsu, I'm literally letting some, okay. I'm figuratively letting somebody kill me. like everything and win because of like, I'm just really stoked and interested on what they're learning. And it's like, I'm not in a teaching environment there. I'm grappling with someone. That's Mm -hmm. a different, situation where when you decide if you were to go to anyone and say hey let's play a game to win and then all of a sudden you're like viewing it from like uh, a helping scenario in a teaching scenario that's a whole different thing you didn't set the relationship up for that and Hmm. so the dynamics are completely different i didn't they didn't agree to that and i didn't agree to that and like um and i know that's like a little thing but i think that's a big thing because when that comes to competing or if I want to go and like go snowboarding, you know, or I need to go and like take a shower. I don't really put a lot of time into those things and I can run myself ragged. I don't smell bad, but <laughs> <laughs> I realize, and I realize that, so I learned I have to like catch myself because in everyday life, it's not so intense. Mm-hmm. You know, in jujitsu, like, you know, I've gotten I've gotten hurt doing stupid stuff and just kind of like playing around and letting people, yeah.
0: Yeah, I've I've got you know a few bulge discs in my neck from uh, <laughs> mine's a different one, which is uh, too dumb to quit. When
1: mm-hmm. went,
0: yeah. good job, tap tap tap. <laughs> uh, you know, but it's the same kind of thing where uh, you know having having that um, because when you're rolling, you know, it should be playful. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're you're trying, but you know, it's one of those things where you should understand that, you know, uh, there shouldn't be so much ego in it that you'd rather break than tap. Mm -hmm. Um, And every now and again, I've gotten, you know, you just get in that this is fighting for my life mindset
2: versus screening. And that's when you end up getting hurt. <laughs> so it's, I, and that's exactly like, it, and it has like that mechanism kind of, if you're open to it, kind of built into it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just started jujitsu, I guess, a few months ago, right? And I find it interesting how I think it's it's a real discipline to keep your um, anger in check. <laughs> 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 like you're trying to teach me something. And I'm doing it and I'm, I'm thinking we're done. And he's like continuously grappling with me. And I got so mad because uh, I hit my head and from zero to hundred, you know, um, and I would have hurt you more except, you know, it wasn't my elbow it was just my, um, no, it was the meat of your tricep. Of my tri- yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I haven't taught her how to throw a good elbow yet. So
2: okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good thing like, on that one. <laughs>
1: like, that anger, that, that flip of a switch right that happened mm-hmm. and uh it was funny because i was grappling with another lady who's well, you know same size same age and all that and it was the same thing between the two of us and we had to we both realized we don't want to hurt each other right mm-hmm. and um that was the first time i've ever experienced something where you could get real um it teaches you discipline and controlling your your emotions
2: yeah and, and I think it could be unique in that way. Cause me, it's embarrassment and fear that I, that I deal with a lot. And like, wh- whenever I, I feel like that level of like excitement and aggression, I get fears sometimes. And that's like my, like my hardest moments, but my best moments, it's like full excitement, you know? And that's cause that's where you like get to where, you, you know, you talked about, about like, um, being playful. And when things like cross that line, I found that that's like a very personal thing because I would talk to people and I'm like, oh, wait, you don't feel like that? And they're like, no. And I feel, you know, this way. And it's like, whoa, you're like, you're going through your own thing here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A- and I think and we all are. And nobody is really directing that, but they are directing that. This is the technique that we're doing. You know what I mean? You have to follow all of these rules, but mm-hmm. it doesn't have to do with like, what's going on in here. That's kind of left up to you.
1: Which is good when you can, when you have the opportunity without hurting somebody (laughs) to um, experience that, I think that's, that's some good shit.
2: And when you have, especially in like good, in good company. And if you have somebody who's, you know, has the, has the ability, if the person is an uncontrollable variable, right. Someone new to jujitsu or somebody that you're unsure, unsure of that other person can create the space for the most part. So that they can have that experience too. Cause I think about this a lot with kiddos like who are emotionally and behaviorally have emotional and behavioral disabilities and just people in general, right. Mainly kids. Um, and if you fall on like the aggressive side of things and it's like, um, non appropriate aggression. And the question is, is especially institutionally, but personally, like, what do you do with that? And, Oftentimes the answer is, is like, you are not allowed to do, um, to participate in aggressive things. And I don't necessarily disagree with that because that could be very dangerous and you have to manage that carefully. But I also think that that's somebody who aggression is, it's not inherently bad or good. It's how you use it Mm -hmm. and it's how you're taught to use it. And people could have been taught to use it in a bad way, whether they're self-taught or someone taught them how to use it like that. Um, but you can do a lot of things to provide them with alternatives for it. And I had that with the kids all the time. It's like, like there would be these kids would be aggressive and then they would like say terrible things to people or they would like, um, you know, hit people and whether or not they had an actual disability or whether it was like not that severe, but it was, you know, a behavior. Right. Um, what actually helps is, is if you get something really heavy, which freaks every freaks people out when you're around people who are characteristically aggressive, but if you get something heavy and throw it, (laughs) if you like, if you can get like something heavy and swing it, you know, if you can actually like physically like grapple and that's, and it's the oddest thing because people are like, well, you're going to, you're going to train. These people are going to become more aggressive and become, um, more dangerous. And it's like, well, I see it as is you're, you're merely teaching them how to use the tools properly and teaching them how to manage those things. Because you can't just
0: make it go away. No, yeah. I think part of it's energy too, yeah. right? Like I, I always uh, equate kids to dogs mm-hmm. um, in the sense that mm-hmm. if you have a dog that you never take for a walk, like it, it's this bundle of energy and it chews up your couch, right? Kids are the same way in the sense that um, if you exercise them, right? You you find these outlets for them um, so that then they're just not this like twitching ball of energy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Then you end up with uh, like somebody you can actually talk to and reason with. And um, so when you, when you have kids who are aggressive, you know, it's finding some ways that you can burn off some of that aggression
1: yeah. um,
0: in a safe and controlled manner. And then you can reach them right it's it's training a dog like if you had a spazzy rottweiler you know the first thing you want to do is work some of that energy
2: out before you try to teach it to sit Mm -hmm. yeah yeah (laughs) yeah you don't put it in a hole there you don't sit on the dog right like because i've seen it i've seen it escalate like institutionally to to pretty high high degrees and i get it because if you have like If you have a very rigid goal and a very rigid process, you're almost kind of stuck in the situation. Mm -hmm. And then I get as like a parent and a person, which kind of goes back to, what we're talking about the homeless situation, which is, um, you, it is true that you have to do things that you don't want to do sometimes, Mm -hmm. but where do you draw that line? And I think like, sometimes I, I don't get worried because people are really resilient but like in terms of how I'd want to spend my life and how I'd want to like spend time with other people. I don't think we have to draw that line always as far as we do at least institutionally, you know? And like, I, I mean, thinking about like in the school scenario that I had, it was um, it was very interesting because it would like, you would want a children to do work and then you'd provide them with an extrinsic reward. And if you know, from like with dog training, that's, Something that you do, right? And you like you phase it out over time. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I I completely agree with that. And it's it's a methodology that really works in you know my own experience. But when it's only external rewards and it's completely disconnected from the activity in and of itself, like I want you to do math. Why? Well, we gotta watch a movie later, and it gets to the point where it's like, I don't want to watch these movies, I don't want to do math, and then it's like, Well, we need to find another reason. Another thing you want to do so we can get you to do math. And it's like, okay, you want to play outside and do math. And it's like sets this like dynamic up that I find when I actually am learning as an adult um, that I don't actually participate in. And I don't think that I would be very engaged with the learning process if I were. And
0: this is is sort of what you'll run into, um, because whether it's like learning you know, basic reading or arithmetic or, you know, it's your fundamentals, right? It's the same thing like in uh, jujitsu or climbing or any of these activities, there's a certain level of boring basics Mm -hmm. that you have to become at least competent in, right? It's essentially your choices are narrowed down because you have to learn these initial skills for the world to open up to you, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Once you learn math, you know, and understand the concepts, and once you learn how to read, even though you can keep getting better at it, all of a sudden the entire world's open to you, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, but you have to learn those fundamentals first before, you know, it's one of those things where nobody's learning like um, funky sweeps in the rubber guard in Mm -hmm. the first class. You know, <laughs> it's but, like, okay, you need to learn how to shrimp. <laughs> you know, it's like sort of these these little basics that are all the building blocks of all your other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I, I'm teaching um, uh, Catherine and her kids how to use kettlebells.
2: Yeah.
0: Right, because obviously- oh, yeah, I love kettlebells.
1: <laughs>
0: and so, you know, we worked out yesterday yeah. and we actually just got- like a, a six kilo kettlebell for the kids. Mm-hmm. You know? And we're doing swings, but it's like you don't move well enough to do swings. So you're going to do this regression first, right? Teaching them how to properly load the hamstrings and, you know, um, and like yesterday's workout, because it's a recovery week for us, is just uh, 10 minutes of kettlebell swings, 10 minutes of push ups, you know, nothing fancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every minute you do a set for 10 minutes and then onto the push ups. Um, But what you run into is with the kids, it's like uh, they're having to learn the body awareness, right? Mm -hmm. Because nobody teaches that in gym class. Uh, Yeah. So, okay. And you have to like teaching teaching Catherine's daughter how to engage her core, like create the shield,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know? It's like she didn't know how to flex her abs right? Embrace. Yeah. You know, well, obviously, if you can't do that, then you can't do all these other things. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that's sort of one of the things with um, whether it's kids or adults, but it's, uh, you know, if we can convey to them, when we're teaching, you know, like, and this is whether it's you and me or teachers mm-hmm. or whatever, how what you're learning is then the gateway right um to this broader world
1: yeah it's um kind of interesting because i was forcing my kids to work out with us at first Mm -hmm. for quite a while and you know at the beginning they're you know especially my son i think he has a lot more energy than my daughter and so he was really really excited and and so that was the thing and then it became because we were doing it six days a week know maybe not maybe a little less excited about it but they started to say I don't want to do it I'm like no you're doing it right so then we talked Mm -hmm. about and he was saying you know don't force them because if they do then they'll they'll, they may have this negative association to it funny enough I said to them you know what guys I'm no longer forcing you to work out with us you're always welcome to And they're like what do you mean (laughs) 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 they just like to complain I said, Mm -hmm. no, I'm not going to force it. And I explained why. And, um, but you're always welcome to. And uh, yeah, but we're going to continue. I I only think they sat out once. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of (laughs) watching, you know? And then they decided, no, we're going to do it because we want to be healthy and strong. I'm like, okay, well, I'm just saying, like, if you, because often they would complain their back hurts, whatever, you know, we'll adjust, Mm -hmm. but you don't have to do it. Like, I want you to enjoy this. And they're doing it. Yeah. So I found that really. Yeah, it's so like I almost my re- choice.
0: You reverse psychology.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's so, not yeah. so bad. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Now they're doing it and they're really into it. But I, I do find it fascinating and I think you can appreciate this, how how important sport is mm-hmm. on what you're just doing physically, but how how important it is for your mind, learning about yourself, right? And um and, and I love rock climbing so much for this. Um you know facing fears problem solving you know mm. uh yeah there's so much that you get out of it teaching you to go for it and surprise yeah. and, and all that you know you're like wow i, I am because I, I apparently I leave a lot on the table
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, don't know, I, I usually pace myself when we work it you know i haven't yet reached that uh and i'm reading um david goggins book um Ooh can't hurt me right yeah it
2: can't hurt me that's a good book yeah callusing
1: the mind and all that
2: I used to give that I used to have my um my I uh, I used to have an 11 year old student listen to the audiobook (laughs) 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 listen the kid the kid's curses way more but I was like oh this will get his attention (laughs) he loved that he loved that book because I was like this is exactly it like dude yeah
0: well, and that, it's a funny thing with, with uh, finding um, the key, right? Mm-hmm. Like, in a sense, it's like uh, there are going to be uh, things that work, whether it's, you know, um, and I, I run into this because, like, I coach. So um, cues that work for one person, right, uh, all of a sudden, boom, they're moving right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then I use that same cue on somebody else and it's like, ah, no, like spread your, you know, push against the floor, put your feet apart or you no know, knees out or, you know, whatever. And like that are just sort of common cues and it mm-hmm. doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But then I came I up with something else and then it was like the key that clicked for somebody, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of one of the problems you run into with sort of just the educational system yeah uh, is that one teacher right with 30 students or however many in the class trying to figure out the key for each of them yeah right mm-hmm. um because one of the things and this is just sort of human psychology if you've got kids that aren't interested in learning like or at least they're perceived that way and there's going to be yeah. kids don't care right mm-hmm. you know, everything's a, a bell curve um you know if you're a teacher like the ones who are sponges that want to learn everything you gravitate towards that mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. um so it, it's always kind of that tough thing of like figuring out how you uh because with school it's not people being there because they want to be there they don't have a choice
2: no you know it- and that's what I was, and that's what I was kind of referring to. And that's what my, the biggest struggle was, was like as an educator, because I exist, I've existed in, in both environments. I've been in an environment where it's kind of mixture though, when it's a service that you pay for, but um, especially when you're a kid and your parent pays for it, because mm-hmm. um, sometimes your parent can make you go there, but often in case it's not that, but um, at least in my experience, anyways, is like these voluntary and involuntary environments. Right, right, Or, involve, you know, places to be, things you belong to. And I would educate in, in, in an involuntary environment in the public school system, um, specifically in a school that focused only on kids with emotional and behavioral disabilities. And then all in a um, voluntary place, which is in martial arts. Um, and that was very interesting in the dichotomy that you would see there and the, the problems that you would bump, bump into because of that um and that's where i was kind of getting to earlier which is like like edu- education's not involuntary i don't think it ever can be because i think it's kind of like there's a bell curve like mm-hmm. you're saying right but i think it's kind of inherent to who we are even if you know reading and writing right like you're gonna be into if you're into video it doesn't if you do anything if you eat food you read Mm -hmm. you know and in like you you have to do math right there's these things that if you want to access the thing you want without like figuring out how to get other people to do it for you you have to be able to do these skills right so the education i think is kind of inherent it's really like the what what you're learning right and like on the other than the very very small like first grade base level or whatever that is like very small information
0: you know, it's kind of that, that first, you know, four years or kind of the basics, yeah. four mm-hmm. or five. Yeah. Um, and then after that, and, and it's a tough thing like, with something like high school, um, is I find so many uh, high school programs are either to get you into some sort of vocation training mm-hmm. or as a pathway to post-secondary, like mm-hmm. university. Very little of it is just about how to be a human being. Yeah. Right?
1: Uh, and think on your
0: own. Yeah, like, you don't tend to find things like critical thinking,
1: uh-huh.
0: personal finance, <laughs> uh, and, you know, things that, that that actually will have an effect on, you know, like, really, like, you know, you look at sort of what's going on right now in the States with, um, you know, the whole capital riots and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what have you, that, that a sizable portion of the population um, is convinced that the election was not legitimate,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? And if, uh, you know, within the school system, there had been a critical thinking element, right? Of, okay, I have this information that's been given to me. How do I verify if it is true or not, mm-hmm. right? Does this seem reasonable? Okay, you know, da, da 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 da, and then you can work through to go. No, I, I don't think that's true, right? Because you 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 have a, a framework
2: for thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but I so this is what I had when I was living in North Idaho. Because in North Idaho, uh, or Idaho, is how the state operates. Is is like it has the most like limited. It the state provides the most limited amount of services towards its citizen, right? like for, for what's federally allowable yep. or that the federal government in, in the United States does not provide a citizen, right? The state doesn't really provide much else. There's the school systems, like there's not a lot of extracurricular activities. It's just very bare bones, right? Um, and given my situation at the time, I really was like, wow, I would love it if there were opportunities for me to go climbing, like all these things in ways for me to access that. And I agree with that. But then I also thought, like my mom and her, how she dealt with stress and all these things. I wish I had more like just taught how to like life, right? Like, you know, how to conduct myself and the philosophy of life and finances and all these things. Um, I still think that way, but sometimes I get a little hesitant because if you, if you would, if you do like want, if you ask more and more of one institution to be able to, if we take critical thinking, for instance, if we wanted If we demanded that an institution were to teach people or students how to critically think and gave them the framework for thinking, and then we were to push the responsibility just in like, as like cultural values, less and less from the family. Because what we're saying is not every family is gonna give their child a good enough background or education to be able to ready them for life, right? So the schools should be able to provide those things. And you know, I've even experienced that and I don't want somebody else to experience that. Mm-hmm. But then though, now you have all of the way that we view the world is is informed by this monopolized institution that is funded by your like a government system. And it compounds the problem that we even have now because there's like two things. If you don't have trust in your government then that's going to compound the trust issue with government, right? And then the, the other one is, is, if you do have trust in government, who delineates, like, how far we we teach people in how they view the world um, and, like, critical thinking frameworks and things like this? And, like, who, who determines that? Because each, as in the states, each district has discretion over, like, w- or school district has discretion over what they teach to a degree. And you don't... Um, And so I don't know what that looks like. So if someone were to like, you know, you were to come in and your family were to have certain beliefs and you were to apply this critical thinking framework, you know, while you were in high school or middle school against your family's beliefs, that could be perceived as like a threat to um, to culture outside of government. And I know that sounds kind of like crazy. I don't necessarily believe in that. I'm going to just put this as an aside so I don't sound crazy my hope is, is that there's more private institutions offering access. And I don't mean at like a cost, right? I would hope that private institutions would actually have funding from a government body to -hmm. be able to freely create programs that people would be able to buy into, right? Or that were subsidized that they could participate. Like if there were like the government were to say, Hey, you, you know, this is like super socialistic, I guess, but like, Climbing and all this outdoor recreation is really important. Okay, if you make under $120,000 a year, your child will be able to, you know, qualify for one of these programs, you could take this and you could spend it at any outdoor recreation company that you want. And that means that for this year, you know, my son gets to learn how to lead multi pitch. Mm -hmm. And that was and I determined how I spent that and my son determined how he spent that. And I know that we kind of got into the weeds there. I'm sorry. No, no, but it's a, it's an interesting thing because obviously
0: the the can and this, this is always one of the things that I love because like Americans and Canadians we look similar, we talk, <laughs> but we we literally because of sort of the different relationship and we're not in love with our government by any means, mm-hmm. but just to give you an idea during the pandemic, yeah, um, more of our government r- programs were aimed at the individual citizens than they were at business
2: oh really like, oh yeah like how for, did that like can yeah how did that work out like we'll
1: break it out for you so when this all started and they had the first i guess lockdown, lockdown within uh honestly maybe a week of it happening and they announced that we will give out how much two thousand dollars a month a month for how long? Four months.
0: For because initially they did it for four months.
1: Per person, okay. For whoever's unemployed, um, and this included students who were supposed to have jobs. Yeah. And basically, they said um, just just apply. We'll deal with it later if. And they said what some of the, the guidelines were, but rather than um, there being a bottleneck and backlog of applications, they just gave the money and it was in people's accounts within like two or three days. Whoa!
0: And then every That's two, them,
1: wild. yeah. They just said we will, and they they were pretty adamant, saying anybody that fucks around with us,
0: we'll get you later.
1: We'll get you later. Like if you <laughs> if you commit
0: fraud, we'll deal with you, but we're not gonna slow down the process because of you. Yeah. Um, oh, you wow. it, we're gonna get it in people's hands because they need it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's been going.
1: So they've extended, I believe they. Did it, I, I didn't. I'm not. I, I yeah. Up to date, but they they did that. And then they just recently yesterday came out with uh, more news that in some cases they were incorrect, um, about who was eligible. And so they were telling people had to pay back and, and they just said, you know what, this was our mistake. We're just for, just forget about it. It's yours. And people who paid it back will pay, give you the money back.
2: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, and, and so money here has also been more for small business that it has, Uh Yeah. and so we actually, in my line of work, I work with attracting US companies to water to where I live to set up offices. Uh-huh. And so we had a company from New York saying how it was like night and day that it we're, you know, in the US for him, it's money's for corporations, not small business here. It's for the small business. So, but it's, but in, in truth, in the news, it's all about the people and that's where the money is.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and so you see that, um, like we're going, what, and- what
2: do you. What do you think that that like plays into the major difference in how that's and how that's executed, um, with it being like more f- small business focused, and then also with it being the money you know, um, being with the people more and not being so divergent from that.
0: I think there's a, a bit of the cultural value part of it. Like we, it's all about the mythologies of your uh, of of a nation, if you want to call it, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you think like America was founded on revolution. You know, you can't tax us, you know, mm-hmm. and so it, it was already founded a, uh, you know, like there, there's sort of these mythologies that are tied in, right? Like the, the, the guns and the, you know, just these different things. Like if you ask even people outside of America, like how do you picture America? It's like loud and crazy and everybody's got guns. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and, and the yeah. fact is, it's like, you know, it's 350 million people, It. It, there isn't one America, right? Yeah. Uh, we go down all the time, so yeah. it's like we're we're but I think it's one of those things where because a you've got a two party system that are both uh like a Harvard study showed that it's not even a democracy, it's an oligarchy oh, no. you know, oh, yeah <laughs> you know more more of the laws are passed to benefit corporations than to benefit the citizens mm-hmm. and I think part of that. Is tied into that mythology part of it, right? Like that you're able to hijack that that people should, you know, like capitalism number one, and and we'll pick ourselves up by our bootstraps, and you know, all that kind of. I think that's a little like a part of it, and then the fact that you guys um, and I don't know how this is, but like essentially bribery is legal, like
2: yeah, with with lobbying, right? Yeah. Lobbying seems really fucked because you, you find that there's a that you have your representatives. Right. And there's like a bottleneck and, and that um, that games, that bottleneck in a lot of ways. Yep. Right. And it also gives you like it gives you this. Um, what do you call it? It gives you the special specialized connection to that person. Right. Or to that representative or those group of representatives. And nobody really can compete with that. Yeah, in that way and you you have um you actually have people out there though to add another layer to that who teach classes on how to how to participate in lobbying which i didn't recently know as a thing until this past week and and then with that you um the person that i was like you know reading his blog about or whatever um he was even saying that like there's he didn't realize how you get um, the attention of your representatives and how you get them to um, to like recognize what your opinion is on a particular bill. And that like most of the representatives will read comments and do all these other things. But I realized that if that's news to me and how I talk to a lot of other people in my like in common culture that I'm aware of. I don't know everybody and I don't know all different demographics, but throughout all of these, I don't really know of anybody who knows how to actively do anything in government or participate or to, to actively like play a role in speaking with the representatives or initiating change the furthest that it ever goes. And I don't know if this is just what it's like for people in general, but the furthest that it goes is like, um, uh either like complaining about it or like yeah like i like just talking about it and that's kind of what most people do i don't ever i don't hear a conversation of hey buddy this is what i think what do you think let's go do this like i never you know or this is how we talk to like our um our representatives i don't have any friends who know how to do those things or who if they have an opinion on something take to doing that most people just like i don't know what what happens They, they take care of it yeah, and I think that's sort of one of the things that that I think is a little different. Like I know
0: where our local representative's office is.
1: Thank you. Yeah. you know,
0: at different points in the past, I've gone and sat with them and brought up the issues I had.
2: Yeah, you you find also like a, a like a disempowerment um, with with people, and in, in that like there's things that people want to change. Um, if the specifics don't even really matter i think um but they don't and they feel like like kind of what we're talking about with like the, the oligarchy situation and basically having like complete and corporate like control over like the whole country in a lot of ways um, you, you feel like a lot of violence that comes from that mm-hmm. and i don't even mean like like you can actually have like real violence but i think you have like a lot of violent tension and that's what really ca- what concerns me at the end.
0: As an outsider, I've always seen, like, with the U.S., if, uh, you know, basically they found a way to get money out of politics mm-hmm. and um, had universal health care, basically everybody in the country would be doing better. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: Right? Yeah. Um because it's one of those things where if the politicians aren't in the pocket of the corporations, then more of the, uh, you know, they're not beholden to them for all their campaign contributions. They're going to be doing more mm. things that benefit the people. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you, nobody be arguing over stimulus checks or, you know, and then it, it, the fact is, is that, you know, universal health care, nobody goes bankrupt because they get sick anymore.
2: Mm hmm you know that's that's a huge problem that you see within the United States it's just like in terms of the health care people getting completely wiped out by that or not being able to meet like certain health state not health standards but not be able to achieve a reasonable standard of living Mm -hmm. because of the inaccessibility to that health care like I even had a scenario where my mom would have to she's like paying I think 250 dollars a month for health insurance and then her co-pays are like $50 and then they only pay $5,000 a year or something like that and, and stuff or no, she's a $5,000 deductible, but. Oh my gosh. Like, and it just doesn't make sense. And she's worked at a job once where she was in Idaho, but this is kind of Idaho. This is more indicative of Idaho and how Idaho conducts itself and not the entirety of the United States. Um, but she was working a job where she was making it's seven. The minimum wage is $7 and 25 cents an hour in Idaho. She was making like eight something an hour. And the healthcare that they had for her there, the only one that they offered was 300 and something dollars a month. And that was almost like more than half or half of the income that she was making. And it was like, how would you, how do you expect anybody to do that? And when she would, did not take that, then she'd, at the time, this was a while ago, she didn't have really any alternatives. And and that was supposed to be employee match or employer match too. So it's like, that's like, how do people, you know, how do you live off of, off of something like that? Um, yeah. It's it's hard. You
0: know, and I guess it's sort of the, the cultural priorities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: But I think the other big, I mean, I didn't realize we're going to get into this area, but to round it out, <laughs> Um, The other big difference between us is the makeup of our population. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know what the for example, Toronto is the most multicultural city in the world. Over half of the population are newcomers, they're immigrants. Oh, right. And so, Mm -hmm. I'm first generation Canadian. I don't. I think the majority of everybody I know is like first generation something. You know, so it's come to a point, which I'll be honest, is a bit annoying that you're becoming so uh accommodating of other people's cultures that you can't say like merry christmas anymore
0: sure you can Mm -hmm.
1: you (laughs) can't not politically correct which bugs me because Mm. i think you should be able to say (laughs) happy hanukkah merry christmas you know
0: I don't think there should be any religious holidays in a secular country, but I just have a different view.
2: <laughs> well, and, and though, I would say even though with like the happy, you know, like Merry Christmas or whatever, that there is a clear intention there. Mm-hmm. And right. And if you get caught in between that, I don't I wouldn't criticize anybody. But like at the very end of the day, I just mean very, you know, I mean, whatever is nice and loving. That's what I mean. You know what I mean? Like, yes. Yeah.
1: Exactly. You know, whatever, you know, it's a holiday. We're not working. <laughs> so,
2: yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. That's
2: what I mean. Like, it's a good ever, day. Yeah. yeah, it's like happy winter time off. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. Yeah. it's easy for me and you.
1: <laughs> so it's funny because people say how polite we are. And I think we are. I think it has more to do. Here's this is actually I think is really interesting. I think Americans are very, very hospitable if you're white yeah yeah,
2: yeah. That,
0: that I ran into when I hiked the Appalachian Trail like uh-huh. in the south yeah oh yeah you know it was the thing I had no problem getting picked up hitchhiking all that kind of thing but then it was one of those ones where you know and I, I guess if you want to call it like sort of privilege because it was sort of one of those things where um, up here like I went to uh, a high school with where half of it was black um, uh, when I lived in like Brampton, I moved out this area, um, Brampton, the suburb of Toronto. I moved mm-hmm. out this area my last year of high school. And there was like only one black person in my high school. But my first four years of high school uh, was, you know, it was super multicultural. So, you know, I played football with these guys and, you know, it was one of those things. I didn't bat an eyelash, but then down in Georgia and, you know, uh, South Carolina, it was this kind of thing where you're like, oh, this is like the racism I saw on TV, yeah. <laughs> right? Like where, where like people would casually yeah. just assuming because yeah. I'm white as well would casually throw out the N word and uh, you know like and had like a real disdain, yeah, you know for for black people. And it was like one of those things where uh, that's one of those even to this day like because we we go to the states for outdoorsy stuff all the time
1: yeah
0: um you know the adirondack mountains in new york are the closest mountains to us uh so we drive there it's like you know seven and a half hour drive and you know we'll go rock climbing down and you know like whether it's west virginia or wherever um so it's this kind of thing where we we find like americans super uh they're not as polite like the, the quote unquote, like Canadian polite, you know, mm-hmm. sorry, 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 sorry.
1: <laughs> it's but, true. But
0: <laughs> super friendly.
1: So um, the point is, is that I think Americans are way more hospitable than mm-hmm. Canadians. Like they will open up their homes and hearts. I remember I was in Atlanta and I had somebody walk out of the hotel, down the street to show me where I needed to go. Like uh, Canadians, mm-hmm. do that. they just tell you where to go, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> i just find people are just a little bit more um laid back and just really even my i was an exchange student my girlfriend was from she was my best friends from oklahoma just that whole bff thing right mm-hmm. and you don't have that as much here um people are very to- tolerant uh i guess tolerance of, mm-hmm. of you know very kind but that's it like it's a bit of a wall you know until you get to know them but um so that's a good thing for Americans, I think. I think Americans in general, I found it to be way more hospitable. I mean, we you had guys find- breakfast at our house with her family when we were vacationing. We were just passing through town.
0: Yeah, just down in-, in rural Arizona.
1: Yeah, very sweet, you know? Like,
2: oh, that's cool. We don't do that here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Something that is a common, like, pattern I see in people is that when you're not exposed to, like, Um, differing opinion perspective experiences like when you're not being flexed a lot Mm. in that way and what you're accustomed to um, it gets really hard to um, to maintain that flexibility right and a lot of that is masked as like fear and anger and and I think that you can see that like if we were to take a physical discipline if you're able to like deadlift at a really heavy weight And if you were to stop for some time and not train, you would lose that ability to, to like move that weight, Mm -hmm. at least to some degree. And you see, sometimes in these environments, there's like, sometimes I don't see just like an, like a racial ignorance or like a sexual ignorance, but sometimes it's even like a conspiratorial and I'm not lining all those up as one thing. I'm saying like, Maybe I've, I've met someone who's like not like group, like a whole like town and gotten to know the people who live in the town and met friends. And it's like, well, um, I would see that the pitfall of like being conspiratorial and like antitrust or like having this narrative around this group that you don't that you're very distant and far away from and you don't interact with, but you have an idea of who you think they are and you never like bump up and interact with them and it becomes this like literal like physical echo chamber as it exists in the context of where you live i see things get very interesting and whether it's like you californians like gays you know what i mean like all of these things and then when you interact with that person i think sometimes things because people and what we're capable of right because we're of all this thing that's going on inside of our minds, we can be capable of very terrible things as a result of very like base things, right. As a result of like fear and not knowing and, and all of that. Right. Cause I'd even look at like, I know there's people who are like, I would say good people who have done bad things, you know, and perhaps like very murderous things. You know, if you look at like, nazi germany for instance am i going to say that everyone who committed an atrocity there was just an inherently bad person or did they start acting out terrible routine or make terrible behaviors routine and then become unrecognizable to their former selves Mm -hmm. and did some people instigate that and co-opt whatever was going on there and that's the thing that i get really scared about here because what you see is more of an indication of like some of the pitfalls in some of the mental health issues in our society. And I would say echo chambers are kind of one of those in a lot of ways yeah. is like a mental health thing, because yeah. I think it's normal to push yourself into like, try new things and to, you know, try different kinds of lifestyles and leave your home or like, don't drink if you've been drinking for a while, don't drink coffee, if you've been drinking coffee every day, right with your left hand, even though it's uncomfortable with your right hand. Like, do you, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's like a philosophical thing to where, like, there are things that make you uncomfortable. How do you conduct yourself? Whether it's like people, thoughts, or activities, and it literally can go all the way down to like, and I'm not saying that racism and writing with your hands, like the same thing, but like, literally to something similar to that, though, where it's like, you can write with your right hand, why don't you try writing with your left hand and get good at that? And usually what you have, I don't have time. And like, it doesn't feel good. It's not fun. Like it's going out into that fray and you get that from climbing and all that stuff.
1: But, so I found, But um, Yeah. And, and so insulated communities and, and formerly where I grew up, I was very much that. So I agree with you. And I think that's why you see a lot of that happening, you know, whether it be technologically speaking, echo chambers, what they follow or where they live. Right. <laughs> but I think, Nobody changes to go outside of their comfort zone unless they have to.
0: Well, unless, unless. Like they hit
1: rock bottom or, you know, uh, like I was a very different person when I was married versus now, you know, I was 40, almost 40 pounds heavier. I had a different lifestyle, you know, I was probably acting my age or, uh, <laughs> or older. Now mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm more mature and whatever. But the point is, is that, um, you know, that was comfort and yeah you know scary your life shifts and it's scary how do i survive right where do i go who am i it's been i've been mm-hmm. 20 years in the, down this pathway right but then you start ask you start facing those situations not always by choice I, and i feel like that's where growth happens right mm-hmm. and and maybe yeah. everybody right
0: well cuz i think i think you Basically, there there has to be resistance, which is what causes the discomfort. There has to be resistance for you to be... It's like muscles, right? They don't grow without you forcing them to. Mm -hmm. And and, and it's the same for personal growth. So then fundamentally, you run into the thing is, are you going to uh, voluntarily... uh, you know, subject yourself to discomfort,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Which makes you, you know, the captain of your own ship, so to speak. Or are you basically going to, and when you would subject yourself to it regularly, like anything you get good at it, um, mm-hmm. or are you going to only be subject to it when life blindsides you, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're ill-equipped to deal with it because you've had no practice,
2: you know? Mm-hmm. And that's where I think these forms of recreation are so beautiful, because it's a way to voluntarily accept the things that um, in, your, in any right mind you wouldn't want to ever experience. Mm-hmm. Right?
1: And you form new neural pathways when you face a fear voluntarily. Yeah. You and, and then everything else, your whole world shifts or how you look at the, your viewpoint on your lens of the world shifts and you can handle and be more open minded and confident
2: and then you can have like things in your environment that would continually reinforce those things. I always think of it. It's like, we have volcanoes here. Right. And like, if I was someone who had like insecurity things and not super inflated ego, but um, I could go and climb these, you know, and like teach myself how to do it safely. And now every day I like, I have to drive like over a hundred miles to, to not see that, to not be reminded of that experience again. And that wasn't some abstraction of why I should feel these ways. It was something that organically emerged in the process of it.
0: You know, when it's, it, it, I really think it's one of the cool things that we both run into um, is when you kind of both with say our podcast, right? Cause you're, you're exposing yourself to new ideas when you're talking to people. Um, And then subsequently, when you have a practice of, uh, you know, subjecting yourself, whether it's physical things, whether it's, you know, um, the psychological state that comes from physical things, like you might be on a climb and the climb itself is not making you stronger or might not even feel, you know, it's not like you're completely gassed or anything like that but you know you look down you know the the, it's it's the the environment and circumstances that create sort of the inner turmoil Mm -hmm. Uh, or you know you're rolling with somebody in jiu-jitsu right like they're all um these canvases that we paint on in the real world that also then have this incredible
2: internal component um Mm -hmm. you know And it doesn't take somebody to define whatever you have going on with you to be able to help you deal with it. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't have to understand what it is you're struggling with, you know, or like what problems you have. But all I need to do is, is know what kind of boundaries I set and like provide the space i i even have kids we learn this in teaching and or i learned this from my jujitsu teacher um is that like you when you teach a class or or when you teach anything it's it can be hard sometimes not to take it personally but it's not a personal endeavor like i deliver you know jujitsu technique i deliver this class whatever you get out of it is your own experience Mm -hmm. and if you're like I didn't, I'm confused. I didn't really learn anything that has nothing to do with who you are as a person. Right. And that might not even have anything to do with the quality of what you're teaching. Right. You can, and like to, what could be hard is as someone facilitating that experience is like, what did I do? Oh my gosh. Oh, are they going to come back? Like all these things. But the real thing is, is like identifying whatever was going on with them and then identifying what went on in the class. Did I, did I did I repeat like um, my cues? Did I offer different cues? Um, Did I do everything in my power? And what you come to with the conclusion with sometimes is, is that um, people are, are allowed to be confused. Mm -hmm. Like not even sometimes it's just period. Like you can show up to something and not really understand and, you know, be confused and then show up again and have your experience. Like I don't have to jump in and save you. From this experience to take you on its directed path and i found out that through watching other instructors and my own experience that actually makes it way that escalates the situation mm-hmm. and usually your best to like make it like um what you're talking about with the kettlebells catherine like kind of making it an emotionally okay experience to show up to
1: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> really like it's like you know you're it's okay show up next time that's yeah. fine and that's what i find actually helps but the, the not helping is, is starting to detail and talk about and focus and like, it seems to escalate the person and, and take a few steps back.
0: Yeah, because it's one thing if you know, you're teaching something and then somebody asks some clarifying questions, mm-hmm. but you also run into the thing um, uh, when you're teaching, especially like an, in an ongoing basis, like a jujitsu class would be, or um, when I'm working with a coaching client, um, you run into the thing where where we're conveying things we took many years to learn. Um, w- unless you're sort of like a physical savant, a lot of times you don't pick it up the first time either. You know, so it, it's that kind of thing where um, it's understanding like the learning process um, mm-hmm. is not like a linear progression up. Like it's it's basically like, kind of an erratic stock market yeah you know it's trending up Well, mm-hmm. a lot of times you know y- you uh run into the thing where where you've conveyed a bunch of information and now like the elves in the back of their brain have to have time to digest it yeah. right? mm-hmm. and process it and then the next time they come out they don't understand even why like because they're just as confused except for they can do the thing now mm-hmm Right, and they're like, I don't. What? Well, okay, <laughs> you know, because it's it's almost like you know, you you practice something and you you suck at it. Mm-hmm. You go away, you've done nothing in between. You come back and you're better at it. Yeah, right. It's like like it, it's you like there's yeah, like the 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 processing power under the hood needs time to to put it in the memory banks or something like that. Mm-hmm right and then they come back and you know it's as i tell anybody when they're starting out whether um and this just goes with anything um because i get so many people it's like ah well i do that but i'm not very good at it it's like
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah of course you're not you've never done this before you're gonna suck
1: Mm -hmm. You part of it
0: on your side Mm -hmm. you know but it's always a strange thing because why would anybody expect to be any good at anything you've never done before
2: And that's where that's where the thing is, is like when you in these abstract environments and doing these things that are not visceral. Right. It's like it's really hard to for that to to show itself rationally. But I find that in these experiences, you like because you can you can know that. Right. Like conceptually, you could say, like, of course, you've never done it before. Why, why would you think that you'd have like an intermediate skill level or something like that? Why do you think you could just do this without like thinking about it and stopping and all these other things? Like, or, or why do you think you could remember it at all? It'd be really hard to do. Mm-hmm. But the, the emotional side, the irrational side of it is persistent, right? And like, I find it with people, certain people in particular, like certain personalities or, or what have you narratives, like very persistent. Like no matter what you do in terms of like explaining it away, changing the ways you explain it and all these things, it's just not like they're just frustrated.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
2: And then, but what I see is, is the, the thing that consistently, okay. The thing that consistently wears away the patina, um, no, um, consistently wears away the patina is, is showing up and trying. Because, like, I've, I've, like, literally seen someone completely, like, shutting down and having meltdowns in jiu-jitsu, right? Mainly yeah. a kid. And you see that um, that happens, and then they, like, lose the ability to participate or something. And then they come back to next class without talking about it again, right? Without a reminder mm-hmm. of what it had done. And then you watch, like you said, sometimes good day, sometimes not. And then you see an escal- escalation like in a few classes, you know, later, and you realize, like, if you look at the big picture, that was actually a little less than it was before. Mm -hmm. And so for this person, they're like learning process and what they're not, you know, able to do is to be able to be emotionally stable and participate. And it was like, for them to even start on this other one we were talking about, they had to get there emotionally. Mm -hmm. And like, and it's just so so odd, because I didn't have to understand what was going on with them. I just had to at least like, you know, tolerate it, but not tolerate it and all that other. set my boundaries so I could teach the rest of the class and help out this kiddo.
1: But, so, Well, you were saying earlier that, you know, sport, I think you said it was jujitsu that you got into first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did it do for you? And why, why do you think it's so important for other people to really dig something like that?
2: Um, I, I think it's really important because I realized that we all have this personal narrative inside of our head, we have our own value system and principles. Um, and we also set boundaries. And the the reason why we do those things are often very set in stone or very hard to change. Right. Um, but when you have to do something like martial arts, for an example, um, or sport, it requires you in its own unique way, given what sport you're doing to bump up against these boundaries. And I find it causes you to question all the things that you know, right? Because in martial arts, for instance, it's like, or jujitsu, you know, you might be taking somebody down, might be trying to trip them, right, and put them on the ground, you might be putting your whole like your weight on them, um, depending who it is, and you might be going for submissions. And with that, it takes a certain mindset and a certain desire to win while also being playful and what that means to me is it takes a certain desire to do your best while also being confident and secure that you can take care of the person and make sure that they're safe and i think that takes a level of confidence in your ability to have self-control and emotional and physical regulation that is deep and um And that carries over for everything for me, whether or not I'm getting, you know, I have to temper my excitement, my sadness, my anger, my fear, etc. There's a lot of concepts that seem important and I read about. But the only place I really put them into practice in like the most intense way is in my um, sport Mm -hmm. and sport is literally the the boundary between comfort and discomfort for me, whereas everyday routine life is is the easy is all is using all those skills that I had to do the relatively easy things and I know it's contrived climbing up a cliff being afraid of exposure but really you have all the safety gears in place right and driving something that seems very complacent and it is no not much safety gear got all the airbags though and I can't mitigate that very much, but that climbing teaches me that, Oh, I should actually be a little more self-aware when I do drive a car with my son, because mm-hmm. it, there can be a little more risk, but it's worth it to do these things. And then also when I'm going to work, I really need to be here with like a full awareness. If I'm afraid to confront somebody at work or confront somebody in my life, that fear is a lot like exposure for me. And then I'm able to work through that my the strategies I've used in exposure to deal with that. So. Mm-hmm
1: like that you know sharing your feelings can sometimes be like exposure on a wall yeah <laughs>
2: oh absolutely like it feels like the most
1: <laughs> i i i feel it because i i got over my irrational fear heights but i feel it's almost like wind, you know just going past your body and it's not comfortable <laughs> <laughs> uh-uh.
2: <laughs> and it's cool because i find that like um the things that are that are memorable or either um, like really bad or really good, like those things that like that almost create um, like anchors, you know, where like what you're saying, even just thinking about like wind going across your body. Right. If you could like associate that and create an anchor with a feeling and even a place that that's powerful, like for your whole life, mm-hmm. because you can continually defer back to that. And the more you defer back to it, I find the connection with that anchor becomes more and more powerful. And like, it's that in my everyday life or even going to a workshop in a class and learning this, well, that's a, a way to learn like these skills for life, but being up there on the wall, right? Or whatever it may be, maybe even competing in your local tournament, those moments are very like memorable, but not in the, the bad sense. Oh, well, not all the time in the good sense, like like you could literally push the ceiling of your life hmm. really, really high with these experiences and sometimes accidentally really, really low, but. <laughs> well, I think, I think
0: that's one of the things though um, and it, it's what we hope to get at when we talk to people um, and hope to live is rather than living a life that's just like a flat line, right? Nothing too good, nothing too bad right? If you're going to have amazingly good, then there's no way around it. Like you're going to have some deep valleys too, right? Because you're going to fail at things. Um, You're going to muff it up. You're going to, you know, but, but it's that kind of thing of like uh, trying. and, And this is something we all individually have to do is trying to have experiences that make you feel your life is worth living. Yeah. Right. Not just autopiloting through, not trying to go through with the least resistance, but but having those experiences where, um, you know, and it, and it sort of sounds cliche, you know, that it's kind of like, you know, if today was your last day kind of thing. It's true. But but that idea of, uh, you know, you've got to be aware of the future, right? You know, don't just blow all your money, do some investing, you know, mm-hmm. like, be responsible um, to a point. But but it's that kind of thing of like, don't, um, you know, stress on the past, you know, in the sense of, you know, beat yourself up over what didn't work and don't obsess about the future, mm-hmm. right? But, but like live in the moment, like the experiences you're having, be there present fully. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, okay. This is, you know, cause you know when you have them, cause you're like, this is living.
1: Yeah. I- I have faced, um, some pretty big fears in the past year mm-hmm. and, um, and it's, you know, I'm always, you know, you walk away where you're like, wow, I didn't believe I was as strong as that. Or you're like, or you're like, it's so liberating, mm-hmm. so liberating, mm-hmm. especially if you've had, you know, any kind of negative emotion towards something
2: yeah
1: and you walk through that, you do it, it's really liberating.
2: It feels powerful. It is, yeah. And like those, and I see those things like are are real opportunities to to make life like more interesting. You know, it's like if you take anything that you're you know afraid of or feel a little bit like uncomfortable about, and you just play with that a little bit, like it's so much fun. I think about that in yoga because yoga is interesting in that like it's another practice in type two you know, fun in a lot of ways. I will, um, if you're doing a backbend, um, especially for me and for anybody like not very well, not very good at it. Right. Maybe it's like this when you're not good at it too. It'd be cool. <laughs> if you do a backbend and like going into the position is so intense and uncomfortable. It's not, it's not painful. Like someone's, you know, hurting you, but it feels like your whole body is just asking you to quit. And like, there's this like kind of burning warm sensation. And there's sometimes where I find you can disassociate with that and just like feel all this like warmness and this like heat, I guess that's building up um, and not attached to the emotional side of that and not Having the, the the thoughts of quitting and the obsession of I want to be done or the lamenting on the discomfort. Um, when you hold that, the real like, why would you do that other than like you know if there's a health benefit, right? I find that it's really gratifying and very fulfilling to bind myself up and then to release. Mm-hmm. And you find that it's like right when I go and I lay down from that back bend that release that I had from that tension I just generated is like the one of the most, like just pleasurable experiences that I ever feel. And it's weird. Cause it's like, for me personally, I know it's different for people, but like, I get it a lot through backbending, but you think about it. And it's like what you guys are talking about, except the other way, um, which I think you get that through most of these activities though, is that you're pushing down to come up. Mm-hmm. you know and i get that through running and hiking but maybe i don't really like those things as much as i think i do because sometimes <laughs> it's like that where it's like i'm pushing down i'm like you know uh, making myself feel so much dysphoria that once i've finished this or i've gotten halfway through i like pop through the clouds and i feel just like the sweet release of all of this accumulating tension yeah
1: yeah
2: What's
1: well, like sex? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's what it, it does. Yeah, it's kind of what it feels like too.
0: because yeah. well, I, but I think one of the things you run into is just that underlying thing of like, um, if everything is just level, uh, you you don't appreciate it, right? Yeah. You, like you you appreciate um, relaxation as the absence of tension right? There's a reason why, you know, in Eastern um, religions, the whole yin and yang, right? Mm -hmm. It's that balance. If you're all like order, you're all, um, you know, everything is perfectly structured, uh, you know, it's stifling, Mm -hmm. right? And then on the other side of everything is chaos, that doesn't work. (laughs) But nothing is more alive than walking that tightrope between the order and the chaos.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and, you know, like, uh, it, this is such a mundane thing, but, like, nothing will make you appreciate just a hot shower oh, than being on the trail for a week hmm. and not having a shower. Yeah. Right? Like, yes. whereas we all shower every day, right? Like, or you know, you hop in the shower, you don't think anything of it. You know, you don't, you, a normal shower, you don't luxuriate it. Mm -hmm. right you don't appreciate it right it's it's the same with anything like by denying ourselves things we appreciate when we have them um by by suffering we appreciate
1: the
2: the absence of it
1: well pleasure is in between pain
2: but in an in a but in a controlled context that might be fucked up And you know what I mean? In a natural context, it's beautiful. Mm. Because I think about this a lot. It's like, if I want you to change and it's like, oh, wait a minute. Like if I were to like create a scenario to move, because we all want people to move in this direction, that's a little better, right? Or I might want you to grow, like my son, right? I might want the best for my son. But if I tried to, instead of find whatever experience he was into, if I decided to take this into my own hands, and I drew out and planned this, like, this, this practice to put my to facilitate these experiences, right, like very intentionally, mm-hmm. and to put him through discomfort, not like we're going to go hiking. I don't mean that. Like, I mean, like, literally, like put him discount for discomfort, just as a means to an end. That would be terrible. And I think that or maybe I'm that's my opinion I'm putting onto that but it would feel like you're imposing suffering onto somebody but Just, but in a sense it
0: the key
2: the key to it is for it to be voluntary and that's what I'm saying is is like in these in these scenarios when you do things that inspire people yeah to move into that direction that's when it is beautiful or mm-hmm. or not beautiful that's well I think it's beautiful it's when it's beautiful it's inspiring it's like it's an amazing thing, right? And you would hope that more people get exposed to that. But yeah. putting it into a very like um, uh, clinical environment, like I don't think that's entirely wrong, but do you know what I mean? Like that's where I try to encourage, like finding that passion and, and having these kinds of experiences.
1: Well, it was like the kids in the working out, right? Like they were really starting to hate it. And all of a sudden I took that whole, <laughs> you have mm-hmm. to this away. and immediately they got back into it I was I was surprised I wasn't expecting that um and I and I think it's it's a couple of things like I think when people do hit rock bottom they have no choice but up right so they're looking Mm -hmm. for something um but otherwise like you with your podcast and ours you know ours with what we're doing sharing other people's stories you know that and that's what we love like we love people that have really really dig something and they're living a life that's meaningful to them That they're growing um that brings them joy right and share that because i think too many people are on autopilot they're Mm -hmm. living by society's norms and cultural values and expectations that really aren't their own
2: yeah and that's where i found this was beautiful is because like talking about more people's stories seems to be so effective because whatever you get out of the story is just whatever you get out of it. Like you're inspired and you create your own plans and move forward. And I think the more of that, and you could say, well, that's not like, what about all the people you don't inspire? And it's like, well, you know, as you find people who make it through in their own ways, mapping that out will account for more people who don't fit in to the the narratives that have already been on display. And, and I think that that, is a lot more enjoyable and um, has a much nicer feeling to it than trying to impose um, the best way to live, right? And to bring it full circle, like really
0: what we're talking about is it's that empowerment of of the change that you can make, right? Because, you know, we talked about like trying to, you as an individual trying to fix global warming, you recycling plastic bottles isn't going to do shit. Mm -hmm, Yeah you know, so you're like, oh, I can't do anything. But, but this, where it's like, if you can influence just one person, right. And well, let's, uh, let's actually treat it like COVID, right. Um, you need to be able to infect uh, more than one. Right. So, so let's say, let's say you can infect two people
1: mm-hmm.
0: and each of those affect two people, right. It, 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 it's that kind of thing of like, it's, it's, yeah. yeah, it's, and it's, yeah. weird. <laughs> and we all understand, you know, uh, disease- <laughs> you know, incubation and, periods, it might take a while.
2: <laughs> and I think we all also relate one way or another hmm. in that way. And that it's more of a, being inspired and being compelled to like, change. It's so interesting how, like, some people in the world will listen to something from people or like experience another person's viewpoint maybe, and will completely change the structure of their life, like in trajectory for good. And there's like history of that. And that's very interesting because sometimes it's not how that person just clearly affects everyone. It's just that like oddly, this phenomenon happened to where this one person got so inspired that, they went off on this trajectory and it's so hard to like predict it do you know what i mean
0: well and that's why it's that kind of thing of like our mission for ourselves is just rather than try to tailor our message to what we think is going to be popular Mm -hmm. it's just be authentic to ourselves and basically you know you're, you, you stick with it and you're going to have an effect.
1: Yeah. Right?
0: It's not that we're trying to change the world. We're just trying to like, think of it as like a giant ship. You just want to nudge it, mm-hmm. you know, it's not going to do a U-turn, but it's going to slowly move over, right? Yeah. It, it's sort of putting that little bit of momentum in a, what we think of as a positive direction right if it be giving somebody a tool giving somebody a mm-hmm. an idea uh you know even just giving uh somebody
2: else a platform to get their voice out yeah yeah and you know you see it's consistent in like the learning environment um in that way because it's kind of like it's all that you need is the ability to show up you know and um And yeah, you can help so many people in that way.
0: Yeah. And I think,
2: you know, that's
0: in a sense. uh, That could really be just sort of the message of of this whole episode, which is just show up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like whatever it is. Yeah. Like 90% of it is just
2: showing up consistently.
1: That happened. That's how I work out. I just show up. Yeah. I show, show.
2: You, there's like physical and mental showing up, right? Yeah, the mental follows, but if I can
1: mm-hmm. physically show up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now it's hard to not show up when I have a kettlebell in my living room, right?
2: Yeah, oh. yeah, exactly. It's always there looking at you. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, so Then it's hard to not mentally show up when you, if you start juggling kettlebells. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> uh-huh. on the fear the yeah. yeah. yeah we haven't done any juggling yet but but doing like um you know transitions yeah that took me so long to even be comfortable because of just like if you don't load if you don't uh, if your body is not adapted to be able to handling that kind of load and then also doing the hip hinge uh, the what you do on what you could do on your shoulder and then what you could do on your your lower back right if you haven't like yeah. scaled to that it's just that always seemed dicey to me unless you're working with really really low weights because of that throwing like i've even had you know a throw where you like throw it and it's like the kettlebell is not at my end range so it's here and if you don't have the movement pattern if you were to do something like that like yeah. that could be really painful right and that mm-hmm. might not be smart then you're not like you're trying right you're not practicing a movement in that yeah, way. it's one of those things with
0: kettlebells if you're doing any juggling do it outdoors yeah.
2: and <laughs> yeah. if you've misjudged just get out of the way yeah exactly you know that's easy to do too easier than what it seems like it would be the because even when you like th- there's the one where you throw it up and then you catch hmm. like that one's pretty easy to throw it out of the way too i was working with my son with that and it's just like every time you catch it's just move it move forward and go back you know it's not really gonna go behind your hands and backwards. That'd be crazy. If you must be like, like throwing that, but yeah, yeah. You know.
0: But that, that's why, like, you run into the thing with with any of the kettlebell stuff. It's all pro- progressions, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, it's one of those things where basically you don't do snatches if your swing squ- swing is shitty.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, like it's all little baby steps, yeah. and so you're not gonna juggle. So you can do snatches for 10 minutes.
2: That's how That's one of the things I loved about calisthenics. And I always thought that about, so calisthenics and yoga, if you do them at the same time or, you know, like in the same training cycle, I just realized that like, they're very similar, except one's almost like a dynamic flow that incorporates a lot of the calisthenic movements other than pulling, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, One of them static, but then it also changes like, Um, it fits different ways of, of learning things. Mm -hmm. And it it reminds me like the kettlebell, but when you learn anything, there's this, like, there could be this dichotomy in yoga. You have flows, right. And you have like a whole series and in that series, you can scale it. And then over time you can scale it upward to make this, the flow harder, but the same components are all about the same. Mm -hmm. Um, and in calisthenics, you have like, it's so type a, in my opinion, and and I have this with a lot of like kettlebells as well is like, you have to know, you have to build what movements you do. Like you're not following a prescribed flow. You're like, I want to do, I got to do squats. I got to do deadlifts, like all the, to the T, you're managing every little bit. And then you're isolating them individually and incorporating specific rests there to be efficient. And like, it feels like a similar aim, but in two different ways, you know, like in it. And I always think about like kiddos that I'd work with where you have some kids who are like, they rather like clear and simple and never changing. And then the other kiddos, this is a gross generalization, but the other kiddos who are like always changing, not so clear and simple. Mm -hmm. And you'd see like a divergence there. And I could see calisthenics and yoga, like, you know, fulfilling those gaps. And I found it in kettlebells because kettlebells, like you got a program, right? Unless you get a coach. And that takes like all this really cool information on like, well, what's, what's important to learn for strength and conditioning, you know, and then go off on that whole rabbit hole. Nah. But, yeah. Well, it's pretty cool. So where, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at becominghumanpodcast.com and on Instagram as becoming human podcast.
0: Yes. And of course, all the podcast apps and places you get them. Yeah. Uh, the iTunes, the Google plays, the Spotify. So uh, you can get ours, you can get his, that's where you get them. Um, so thank you very much, Will, for, for spending a couple of
1: hours with us. Yeah.
2: Thank you, uh, Catherine and Winston. I appreciate it guys. Yes. All right, cool.